0: We're going to look at verses 11 through 15 in Colossians, to, uh, uh, Colossians chapter 2. Then we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And then after we have the Lord's Supper, the praise team is going to come back up and we're going to sing our response to the gospel. When we do that, Allie Barrington and our baptism team and me, we're going to go up to the baptistry and we're going to get ready to baptize Allie Barrington. Okay? And that's how we're going to end our service. So we've been told to do two things. By Jesus, the church has been told to do two things. We call them ordinance, all right? We've been told to remember, to recognize, to observe these two things. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, and then do what? Baptize them. So we're, we're, we're commanded to baptize. He also, after he did the Lord's Supper in the upper room the night before he died, he said, do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to do both of those things today. And it's just amazing. I, when I started working on this sermon, Allie, I started working on this sermon Wednesday morning, and I put a lot of hours into this sermon, and I hope you'll be able to tell. And I thought as I was preparing the sermon, golly, we're going to do the Lord's Supper. I wish we had somebody to baptize. And then Allie came up to me on Wednesday night and said, I need to be baptized as soon as possible. And so it really worked out in an amazing way. So I think the Lord's Supper and the baptism are going to be meaningful uh, in light of this scripture, it's going, to be, it's going to be more meaningful to us, hopefully, because we've heard from God's word in this particular passage that he's worked all things right here for us to just be blessed by his word and by the things that Jesus has asked us to do. The key to understanding our passage this morning is for you to understand that you are a sinner. When Adelaide was a little bitty girl back in Wake Village, she went to the nursery and they taught her the first Bible verse that she ever memorized. Little bitty. Romans 6.23. And she, we said, what's your Bible verse? And she would say, was it in Eastland or was it in uh, Wake Village? When she would say, all have sinned. <laughs> and that, that, that was the only Bible she knew. But she had the, the, some ladies at church had taught her. I don't know if it's Eastland or Wake Village now. My memory's it was Eastland. So it was Eastland. So she little bitty. And she, that was the Bible that she knew. All have sinned. All have sinned, Romans 6, 23. And really you say, well, what a terrible thing to teach a kid the first thing out of God's Word. No, that's the first thing you need to know. The good news isn't good unless you got the bad news first. And the bad news is all have sinned. And the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death, meaning the penalty, the fine, what is due to God because you're a sinner is that you die eternally and you're punished for your sins eternally. So I said we all, we all only die once when I was talking about the funerals, but the reality is after that death, if you don't know Christ, then you die again forever. And it's an eternal death. It's an ultimate death. So if you're a sinner and you've not put your faith and trust in Christ, you are a walking dead person. You're not alive. Condemnation already rests on you. And when you die, you will die forever in hell. And you will spend eternity experiencing the terror of God's wrath. Our text in verse 13, if you look at it, so we're looking at Colossians chapter 2. If you look down in verse 13, here's what it says You are dead in your trespasses. It says, You were dead. He's talking to Christians. You were dead. He's talking about people that were alive walking around in this world. And he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. So that's the bad news. When I was a child, though, as so growing up in Southern Baptist Church, there was some kind of Southern Baptist emphasis in the 80s where they began to hand out these little paperback Bibles. Maybe some of you all remember these. They were blue paperback Bibles. And, and they didn't say Holy Bible on them. It was just the New Testament, and it said, here's hope. Jesus cares for you. Do you all remember those Here's Hope Bibles? And we would just get boxes of them and and our church would hand those out. Here's hope. Jesus cares for you. And when I was studying for our passage today, I thought to myself, when we hear the bad news about sin, what we need is hope. It it is hopeless to hear that you're a sinner and that you're going to die forever and go to hell. That is a hopeless thought. But the good news is that that's not the whole story. There is hope. And the hope is in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And in our text, in Colossians, starting there about verse 9, Paul is telling this little church, this little fledgling church, he's never even been there, he's never even met them, but he's telling them, if they have put their faith in Jesus, if they've received this inheritance in Jesus, that Jesus is the fullness of God and they are filled in Jesus. They are filled in the full one. But what does it mean for me to be filled in Christ? What does it mean for me to be in Christ, to be filled in Jesus? Well, verses 11 through 15, Paul explains it. There's a song that we hear uh, usually on Good Friday. I think Lori plays it while we're doing the Lord's Supper. And the song is called, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? And so we hear this song, and we're all very familiar with this old Negro spiritual, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? And what does the smart Alex say? Of course I wasn't there when they crucified. That was 2,000 years ago. What does that song even mean? It's just bad poetry. But then we uh, have that man read this verse, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Paul would say, yes, I was crucified with Christ. And whoever wrote that old song that the slaves would sing out in the field was quite a theologian. Because he understood something, didn't he? We were there when they crucified our Lord. If we are in him, then we were there. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In him Also, you were circumcised. He says, You're filled in him. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision. And what I'm going to argue, what he's saying there is, by the circumcision means the death of Christ. If we we think of circumcision as death, here's how the verse would read In him you died. You died a death not made by hands. That death was the putting off of the flesh. It was the death of Christ. Circumcision is what happened to little Hebrew baby boys when they were eight days old. A knife was taken to the male sex organ, and the male sex organ symbolized life. And they took a knife to the organ, and it was cut, and there was pain, and there was blood. And this is how the covenant with Abraham was established. And God was saying to Abraham, if you want to live for me, your sinful flesh has to die. And your flesh has to die so your soul won't die. Circumcision is like a death. And the circumcision that Paul's talking about in verse 11 is not the circumcision that happened when Jesus was eight days old. It's what that circumcision that happened when Jesus was eight days old is pointing to. That circumcision was pointing to His death on the cross. Jesus really was on the cross putting away a body of flesh. He was really putting away a sin nature and really when you think about what it was doing, it wasn't his sin nature. Did Jesus have a sin nature? So whose body of flesh was he putting off? Yours, that's right. Whoever said that. Your sin was being put off. Literally, the word put off means to cast off. Like you have clothes and you're taking them off, you're putting them off, and you're never, they're so filthy, you're never going to put them on again. The casting off of the flesh. So we can think about in him you were circumcised with a circumcision not made by human hands. He's not talking about the sign. He's talking about the thing that the sign points to. And that is that your body of flesh, your sin nature, you, the old sinful man, dies when Jesus dies on the cross. And then he moves from circumcision, which was the sign that God used to point people to his covenant with Abraham. And then he moves to baptism, which is a sign that points to the spiritual realities in a Christian believer's life. Look at verse 12 having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So he moves from circumcision, and he's not really talking about physical circumcision. He's talking about a spiritual circumcision. He's talking about what circumcision points to. And then he moves to baptism, and he's still talking about this figuratively. He's not talking about water baptism. Now, we are going to water-baptize Allie here in just a little bit. But we could use all the water in this world, and that's not going to take her sins away. What that is, when we get up in the baptistry, is it is a sign. It's pointing to something that's happened in her life that we can't see. I always use the illustration with the kids of my wedding ring. And I always ask them a trick question when they're in my office. And all the kids that have been in my office to talk about salvation know when I point to my ring, I say, what is this? They say, it's your wedding ring. Is this my marriage? And they say, yes. And I say, really? This ring is my marriage? And they say, I don't know. What, what, is, what is your ring? I say, this ring is a sign that points to the fact, it lets you know that one day a long time ago, back in 1999, 99, that's right, that's <laughs> right. See if I have a place I can sleep tonight. <laughs> back in 1999, and I'm not going to try to say the day. I know it was in May, but uh, <laughs> but back then, way before those kids were even born, and probably some of their parents weren't even born, uh, we made promises to each other. But you can't see those promises, can you? You can't see those promises we made to each other now. You can see the effects of them. But the sign points to the thing. The sign points to the fact that something happened way back then in 1999 when we made promises together, uh, and and we made promises to each other to live together forever until one of us dies in our marriage and to cherish one another, to love one another, serve one another, and remember our anniversary. Uh, And so, the baptism that we're going to do here in a minute with Allie, if you'll think about it, is pointing to something that's already happened in Allie's heart. That her sins have been taken away, but it's not by water. It's not by being baptized into water, it's because she's been baptized into Christ. She's identified with Christ. This is a baptism that takes place, he says, in verse 12, through faith. And what is this baptism? Just like circumcision, this, this baptism into Christ, it's not talking about the baptism of Jesus, but it's talking about the thing that Jesus' baptism and our baptism points to, which is the death of Christ on the cross. She'll be, we'll go into that water like this, and we'll say, died, buried, Rose again. We're we're saying that this baptism points to these truths about what happened there at the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when you trust by faith in Jesus for your forgiveness, God considers you to have been on that cross. You were circumcised with him. You were buried with him. You were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. I've been crucified with Christ. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? God considers a believer to have been there. When you trust in Jesus, he's saying that death of Jesus is your death. That burial is your burial. And that resurrection to new life, It it's your life, but not really. It's really the life of Christ living through you. You're dead, and you're buried, and that old man is gone, and if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Well, how does that happen? Through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how it happens. When you trust in Jesus for forgiveness, God considers you to have been on that cross, you to have been in that tomb, and you to have walked out of that tomb with Jesus victorious on Easter morning because you are, as a believer, the position that the New Testament teaches is that your position is that you are in Christ and that you have been in Christ since before the foundation of the world. So this morning, here's the question. Are you in Christ? Have you been baptized by faith into Christ? Have you identified By faith with Christ, because you're either in Christ or you're still in the body of death in Adam. We're all there. We're either in Adam or or we're in the new Adam, who is Christ. So where are you this morning? Are you in Adam among the walking dead, or are you alive in Christ Jesus? He drives all this home in verse 13, which is the key verse of our passage. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. And you, though you were dead, God made you alive together with him. When he made Jesus alive, in a sense he makes you alive, having forgiven all our trespasses. Because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, in your place, your sins are forgiven if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you are in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Verse 14 says that there was a record of debt that you owed to God and that that debt is canceled and is nailed to the cross. Look at verse 14. He forgives you forgives all your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands this he set aside this debt that you owed God he set aside by nailing it to the cross now in the old days when somebody went to a bank and they would make a a, a take out a note a loan they would get a note and they would begin to make payments to the bank and one day they would come in and say, I've got it right here in my hand. I have the last payment that I owe you. And so the banker would go back into you know their closet or wherever they keep the books. <laughs> they would bring out the note that, that the man had signed and that the banker had signed. And they would put that on the table and the guy would take uh, a pen. And I guess he would dip it in the fountain. This is the old days, right? And he would start at one corner of the document and he would draw a line to the other corner of the document on the other side. Then he'd go back up to the top corner, and he'd do it again. And after he drew that cross on there, he would write, paid in full. Now, whenever they would, in these days where Paul lived, or these times where Paul lived, they did a similar thing. But back then, they wrote on parchment. And you could take that parchment, and you could just wash it off and use it again. And so whenever you owed a debt, You would take that to the person when you'd paid it off and they would take that parchment and they would go get water and they'd wash it off. And it would show that the debt was canceled. It had been canceled. Uh, The debt that stood against you, your sin debt, think about it. When you put your faith in Jesus, here, here, paid in full. That debt you owe is washed off and your slate is clean. And then he says this interesting thing, he set it aside, this he set aside, the last part of verse 14, if you look at that, such a a strong uh, word there, he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. What is that? Think about those of us who've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, why we did it. Because we knew that we owed God a debt. Uh, the death penalty was owed. Because of our sin and because of his absolute righteousness and his absolute justice, there had to be a payment. When a criminal was being crucified in the Roman world, they would set them up on the cross, and then they would make a sign, and they would say what this person had done. And then they would take that sign, they would go up over that cross, that uh, criminal's head, and they would, I'm feeding back a little bit, Dale. They would take that sign, and they would <laughs> nail it to the cross. So that when you were walking by, you could see what this criminal had done. Well, what would be the sign? What would be the sign that hangs over our head? What does your sign say? Your sign says, cosmic treason. Lawlessness, willful disobedience, hatred of the good and wonderful King of the universe. And because of our crime, the law demands our death. And you can consider that your sign, the debt you owed, the crime you committed, was nailed to the cross of Christ. So that when Jesus died, he was dying for your crimes. And you were there in Christ, the old sinful person dying too. And whenever Christ was crucified for you, and when you consider the fact that you're crucified with Christ, what's happening there is that in his death you are setting aside your life. And as you set aside your life, Christ sets aside the record of debt that stands against you so that you can be forgiven. The penalty you owe is set aside. You're forgiven. The penalty is set aside. And then verse 15 tells us one more thing that happened in the death of Christ. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now that's the triumphal procession is something we talked about when we studied Corinthians. But what that is, is that when a king would go out and conquer a people and conquer other kings, he would bring those slaves and warriors and kings and all the spoil of the war, he would bring those back to his hometown city, to his capital city. And he would march all of them down the main route. And then when they got to the very end of the procession, the kings would be slaughtered. That was the king's triumphant procession to show that he had fully triumphed over this other tribe or this other nation. And what verse 15 is saying is that when Jesus died on the cross, because of his sacrifice on the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. These rulers and authorities are the enemies of God, the spiritual forces of evil that lie to us and seek our destruction, the devil and his demons. And in the crucifixion of Jesus, The thing that those demons and devils thought was their greatest moment turned out to be the thing that took away all their power over you. They are defanged. They are disarmed and they are put to shame. And the only power that they have over you is when you choose to believe their lies rather than to believe the truth of God's word. There's an old preacher I love to listen to. His name is William Still. And he was talking about, I was listening to a sermon that he was preaching, and he was talking about a prayer meeting. And he was saying, we we have these wonderful prayer meetings, and he was really bragging on a few of these older guys in his church that would come and pray. And these men had been coming to church, to prayer meeting, to pray for years and years and years. And he said, they were praying, and a man, he said, he said something I'll never forget. He said, Jesus, as they were praying, he said, Jesus, tell the enemy that he will have to wait at the door, and he can't come in here. Tell the enemy he has to wait at the door. He can't come in here. Why can't he come in? Because he has no power. And when we come in here and we declare the truth and we remind each other of the truth and when we are about our Father's business and we are people of the truth, the enemy has no power because all the enemy has is lies. And we have the truth. The truth is like light. The darkness has no power over light, but it chases the darkness away. Light chases away the dark. Well, here's the hope for a believer today. If you are here and you're thinking, I never can get it together. I'm. <laughs> I, I wish I was more excited. I wish I knew how to pray out loud in front of people. And maybe you think I. I, I maybe you feel like a second class Christian or something like that. Maybe you've been discouraged for years and years. And maybe you think that you're not enough. Well, here's the good thing: you don't have to be enough. Because what Jesus did on the cross is enough. And he can do whatever he needs to do through you. Because the reality, see, you're just believing lies. Because what does the reality of God's word say to us right now? You're filled. You're forgiven. The penalty for your sins has been set aside. And the enemy's been been disarmed. He's been humiliated and totally conquered. Paul says it this way in Romans 6. If we've been united with him in a death like his, if we've been united with him in death, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Now you say, well then why do I still sin? Why am I still tempted? Look, in this world, sin is going to be present. It's going to be near you, with you. You're going to commit sin, but Remember this, believer, it doesn't have power over you. That's the difference. It's not your master anymore. Your master is Jesus Christ. The body of sin had to be brought to nothing, so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died, if you've been crucified with Christ, if you died when Christ died on that cross, listen to what the word says. The one who has died has been set free from sin. If we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death has no dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Well, I started the sermon with the bad news. All have sinned. But here's the hope. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. And when we take in that cracker that represents the body and we drink the juice that represents the blood, what we're doing is we're identifying with Christ. And we're saying, just like I can't live without food and I can't live without drink, I can't have eternal life unless his body is broken for me, unless his blood is spilled for me and poured out for me. And as these men will come forward here in a minute and they will... Take these plates, and they're going to hand them to you. Someone is going to give you the cracker. Someone is going to give you the juice so you can remember that God has given you His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the hope. Here's hope. Jesus cares for you. And when we baptize Allie as a church here in just a moment, she and I will get in the water... I mean, you can see the water. Lonnie came up last night. We ran it. I said, I think we need to put a little bit more in there, you know. So we... You can see the water in the window, can't you? What does the water represent? It represents the grave. It represents death. And we're going to get into that watery grave. And we will be declaring that when Jesus died on that cross, Allie died to herself. And that in Christ, her body of sin and death was put off forever through the circumcision of Jesus. In his sacrificial death on her behalf. We are going to declare that he died so she wouldn't have to die eternally. But in his death, the old dead and trespasses and sin and the uncircumcision of the flesh, Allie Barrington died too. When Jesus was buried, so was the old Allie. And I will put her down in that water and we will give a picture of what has happened. We will show That the old Allie died in the death of Christ. But here's the hope. That after I put her down in the water, she hopes. That my arm will raise her back out of the water. I've never lost one yet, Allie. I will put her down in the water, and my arm will raise her out of the water. And that is a symbol of how God's strong arm raised Jesus from the dead. And since Ali was in Christ when He rose from the dead, she's also risen from the dead, and she's been given a new and eternal life in Jesus Christ. But it's not her life; it's Christ living through her. Eternal life in Jesus Christ.